last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. It says Fantasy Football Podcast on iTunes, and I, I empathize with all of the members of the audience who hate our guts because we misrepresent this show. It's the best of both worlds. You've got these people out here that want to listen to something that's not football related. They want to have fun on their drive to work or home, but they want the football too. We give them, we give them everything. It's a great show. It's a great format. People should love this. It's so self-involved. We spend half of our time talking about ourselves. That has to be maddening to the mainstream casual fantasy footballer who just stumbles upon this show on iTunes and thinks they're going to get serious football talk for an hour. And we give them eight minutes. And that he's the lowest rent Adam Schefter wannabe. <laughs> God. I'm not butthurt. And they're, they're going to hate themselves when they click that follow button on Carl and get 90% politics and 10% football. Whoa! Whoa! What? Nate? And the fate of your team doesn't matter. I don't care. My time is worth money. And they want fantasy football strategy. They want tips they want sleepers, strategy, tips, sleepers, strategy, tips, sleepers, strategy, tips, sleepers, strategy, tips, sleepers. So what do we do? What do we do after a full year of giving you strategies, tips, and sleepers in February, in March, in April, in May, in June, in July? What do we do in mid-August? In mid-August... We give those people, the mainstream, knucklehead, cliche fantasy gamers, we give them a middle finger. And. It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And. Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And with us tonight, we have a special guest, Kevin O'Brien. You can find him on Twitter at the underscore FF underscore engineer, host of the Fantasy Football Engineering Podcast. Welcome to the show, man. How is it going? Going great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. He has the double underscore. We like the underscores here, so we're fans of the underscore. The more underscores, the better. That's good, man. I, I you know, I actually thought about getting two handles, and I went to go get the FF engineer without the underscores. So every time I went on Carl Safchuk's show, he wouldn't give me crap about the underscores. I could just say, hey, I'm at the FF engineer without the underscores. And then I'd go on a, another show, and I'd say, no, I'm really underscored. Just so I wouldn't get the crap from him. Nate has a hate-hate relationship with Carl Safchik. <laughs> uh, if you're not aware, this, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. Where Carl just really hates Nate, and it's one way. Hate, hate, hate toward Nate. And it's well-deserved. Nate nuked that relationship purposefully, and I'm on Team Carl. 
I believe Carl was right to unfollow Nate, and if I were Carl, I would have blocked him because Nate's been an asshole to Carl for months now. Long time coming. Good job, Carl. But, 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 the criticism of the underscore? Really? You're an underscore snob now, Carl? Really? Couldn't think of something better to do with your time than to criticize other people's Twitter handle spacing? Maybe talk about anything else in the universe except Twitter handle underscores, like, for example, Brandon Cook's Upside. Julian Edelman just limped off the field after a non-contact knee injury. The non-contact knee injury as he planted to run one of his signature whip routes. It looked as if the integrity of the knee collapsed and he was quickly whisked off the field and it did not look good. Now I mourn these injuries for approximately .06 seconds before going straight to best-case scenario for all of the other receivers in that passing game, particularly one Brandon Cooks, who we have talked about on this show many times. Many, many times. In fact, we talked earlier this season about Brandon Cook's upside being the number one wide receiver in the NFL if he can somehow seize that old Wes Welker role in the New England Patriots offense. That role is a volume slot receiver role, well over 150 targets per season for Wes Welker. If the Patriots can somehow use Brandon Cooks like they used Wes Welker, then Brandon Cooks is an explosive Wes Welker. Let me ask you, would you like explosive Wes Welker on your fantasy team? The answer is yes! The answer is yes, because that could be the number one wide receiver in the league. That's his upside. Especially now with Julian Edelman possibly not playing. Kevin O'Brien, do you agree? Absolutely. Uh, certainly for this year, it puts him top 10, no doubt. Top 10, top 15. Brady looks fantastic with all those weapons. I'm going straight to top five. I'm going to usurp you. I'm buzzing right by you on a motorcycle, Kevin. I'm going straight to top five on the rankings in both seasonal and redraft. Give me the four. Give me the four ahead of them. Give me the four. We have Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans. Those guys are probably safe. Antonio Brown is third on my rankings. I guess we'll say he's safe, but I think we have to start having a conversation about Brandon Cooks versus Antonio Brown just because of their respective ages. I would have Amari Cooper ahead of Brandon Cooks, but now I think Brandon Cooks slides into that five spot. I had him at six. After this injury, I move him up ahead of Michael Thomas into the number five slot. For Dynasty or 2017? For Dynasty. Absolutely. I'm talking about Dynasty. This is a Dynasty show. For the season, I would consider putting him at six. In Dynasty, I can't see top five. Um, I definitely have Antonio. Antonio Brown's my top guy. I mean, he's the Jerry Rice, and I know how you feel about this, but he's the Jerry Rice of our generation right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, just sick. Of the top eight players... They're all under 25 years old, with the exception of Antonio Brown. He's going to turn 29 soon, and it doesn't matter because he'll play for another 10 years. So we don't care. We have Antonio Brown locked into the top three. But I'm just saying it's a conversation because Brandon Cooks is only 23 years old. 
That's amazing. I think the big deal with Brandon Cooks, if he's going to reach that top five wide receiver status, he has to go into the slot in New England. I don't know that as an outside receiver in New England, he's going to go into the top five. I don't know if the target share is there, especially if Gronk comes back in the history of the outside receiver, excluding Randy Moss. So if Brandon Cooks goes into the slot, I can see I can see the potential of it. But like we talked about earlier, a few of us in this group do disagree that Brandon Cooks would be the slot guy versus, say, Chris Hogan. Is Where are you at on that, Kevin? Yeah, I think I mean, I don't know that it really matters in New England all so much, but I think Hogan go inside. I mean, I've seen training camp reports where Hogan's been working on the inside. Um, I think they look like to move Cooks outside and inside, um, depending on the defense. You know, uh, they'll get him away from tough corners, and then they'll move him into the middle of the field just to get him open. I had visions with Edelman and Cooks of doing these um, rub routes, you know, that people get pissed off so much with. Love the rub routes. I mean, could you envision Cooks doing rub routes with Rob Gronkowski in the middle of the field? I mean, come on. and Lights out. Yeah, Brandon Cooks rubbing off. Rob Gronkowski, that would be a sight to behold. There you go, man. He's doing it. He's doing it. Yeah. So anyway, so I, that's only my take on Brandon cooks is that I think if if they have him outside, less likely to crack the top five, if he moves inside and if he played a lot out of the slot, who knows, man, if he gets 150 targets in there, he's a queen chess piece player. That's what he was last year for new Orleans. They're going to move him all around the field. Like Kevin said, they'll play him plenty in the slot. They'll play him plenty on the outside. The Patriots call formations based on matchups. It depends on who the outside corner is, whether or not you see Hogan out there as a decoy or you see Cooks out there. I'll tell you one thing, though. Brandon Cooks is never a decoy. Never. When he's on the field, he's a threat to catch a pass and score a touchdown. That's why it's so exciting. You imagine him playing the slot, and let's say he runs a crossing route with Chris Hogan. Well, okay, Chris Hogan picks off the slot corner. Brandon Cooks runs a quick out, catches the pass, three-step drop, boom, boom, boom. Ball is in Cook's hands, and all of a sudden he's beelining down the sideline for a touchdown. That's going to happen this year, where he takes these short passes and just beelines down the sideline for a touchdown. You know that's going to happen. He'll also catch some bombs. He's going to be targeted significantly in this offense. You know if you're Bill Belichick, he's by far and away your most talented receiver. Of course you're going to draw plays that get the ball in your most talented receiver's hands. This isn't... The Jacksonville Jaguars. This isn't the Houston Texans. This is a competent coaching staff. They know what they're doing. They know how to exploit matchups, and they know how to get the ball in their best playmaker's hands. And Brandon Cooks and Rob Gronkowski are by far and away the best playmakers in that passing game. So you just have to trust the Patriots coaches are going to design plays to get the ball to those players, whether they're lining up in the slot or outside. The only thing I have with that is that I really think the key for Cooks would be the touchdown upside. And that ha- that has to be there because, I mean, they're going to poach one-yard touchdowns from, I mean, like it or not, Gillis, he's going to do it. He's going to poach those touchdowns, and Gronk's going to be, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a red zone weapon. Can Cook get 10 touchdowns? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the thing, right? They're going to score so many touchdowns. It's one thing to score 10 touchdowns on the Bears. It's very difficult, given how few red zone opportunities they have. But because the Patriots are in the red zone so frequently, just based on the probabilities, Brandon Cooks is going to run some of those slants at the goal line and catch plenty of touchdowns. It's going to happen as well as the long touchdowns. So you throw in some short touchdown passes on slants, 
and you mix in the long touchdowns. Let's put it this way. We had Edelman has a year with six touchdowns, another year with seven touchdowns. I think based on the long touchdown upside that Brandon Cooks has on any given play, he can add three to four touchdowns to what Julian Edelman was delivering on long passes. There's your 10 touchdowns right there. But compare that to Michael Thomas. I think he's the maybe only option, right? Sneed will get some, but it's not like a tight end is going to be poaching. And I really don't believe that their running backs are going to get as much as maybe Gillisley could get. I, I mean, Michael Thomas, for me, I would probably still have him above Cooks. In Dynasty? In Dynasty, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, Edelman's coming back next year, too. So, I mean, you can't just reset Dynasty for one year. Edelman will be back next year. At age 32, coming off a torn ACL? I don't know. The Patriots have earned a reputation for letting big-time contributors walk a year before the obvious decline hits. So I would not be surprised if Julian Edelman's not back next year once the Patriots evaluate the talent profile of their receiving core. They have Malcolm Mitchell. They have Chris Hogan at value. They signed Austin Carr as a free agent. So all of these wide receivers become much more interesting if Julian Edelman is out for the season. We're just speculating. This just happened. Two seconds ago, it happened. So we know it's great for Brandon Cooks. That's clear. I pounded the table. I pounded this, that Cooks was going to Welker Edelman. I mean, I was saying that over and over and over again. Me too. Thank you. Yes, it's on. The only reason I stopped is because they gave him that extension, and I didn't expect that. So everything you're saying is true, and the only reason that gave me pause was that extension was very unlike them. It was a front-loaded extension. I have no idea. I just made that up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It sounded good. This is a fantasy football podcast. We can just say stuff. It doesn't matter. It's football. So over the top. But what about Malcolm Mitchell? Because I owned a lot of Malcolm Mitchell last year, drafted him in the second and third round, and then once they traded for Brandon Cooks, I allowed Malcolm Mitchell to be included as a throw-in in multiple trades, and I'm starting to regret it because it looks like Malcolm Mitchell is the starter in three receiver sets, right? I mean, you've got to have Brandon Cooks, Chris Hogan. I guess it depends on who goes into the slot in this case. There's potential that he could be on the outside. I don't know who's in front of him, but you have Gronk out there. I just don't know what his opportunity share is, honestly. Can you answer the question, Nate? Sure. In three receiver sets, three wide receiver sets, you have Hogan, you have Cooks, and you have... He's not. He's ahead of Amendola, I think, if even if they're both healthy. So I can see him in three wide sets. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is opportunity share is not that great. So as much as we all love Mitchell, are we assuming that Hogan goes away? Are we? Assume, we know that Edelman and Amendola are on the way out. The season hasn't even started yet, and already the Patriots have lost one of their starting wide receivers. So yes, anything can happen. Brandon Cooks could get hurt. Chris Hogan could get hurt. But even without an injury, now you see because the Patriots will run a lot of two tight end sets. But can imagine him getting a sixty percent snap share, eighty targets perhaps for Malcolm Mitchell. That's not out of the realm of possibility. He looked very good last year. Anyone that watched the games, I, mean, I don't really watch the games, but I heard that he looks a lot like Jeremy Macklin. And his profile on playerprofiler.com is strikingly similar to Jeremy Macklin and Reggie Wayne. So he fits the prototype of that NFL flanker, the guy that's running those intermediate routes. Great hands, great route runner. That's what he was at Georgia. And it's hard to command significant snaps on the Patriots 
a Super Bowl roster as a rookie, a rookie coming off a serious elbow injury in preseason, but that's what Malcolm Mitchell did last season. I'm encouraged by what I saw from Malcolm Mitchell last season, and now I'm really encouraged looking at his possible target share. How about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm looking at Mitchell. My top two guys that I would be wondering is uh, between 11 personnel and 12 personnel, like you said. If they go between Dwayne Allen and Malcolm Mitchell on the field, I think those are the top two options. But I wouldn't rule out that they start thinking about putting like White and Lewis on the field at the same time, too. Uh, I mean, White had 75 targets last year, 80 targets, something like that. It was pretty high. I wouldn't blink an eye if they end up putting two running backs on the field at the same time. Wow, the heavy formation. Two tight end, two running back sets. There's no reason they wouldn't do it in the second half, nursing a lead, right? They're trying to run the clock out. They're going to run two tight end sets with two running backs. What I'm thinking about is if you, by replacing Edelman, it's going to be a rotation of the three guys. Mitchell one of the running backs, and Dwayne Allen. I think those will be your three options and not necessarily all at the same time, but they'll be able to put on white in certain formations, line them up in the slot, and then Lewis in the backfield. I think that's your three options, Mitchell, Allen, and then a second running back on the field. Not necessarily Allen and a second running back, but you know, I think it'll depend on the situation and who they're playing. I mean, you know Belichick as well as I do. It's opportunistic when he decides to go with what package he's going to use and he don't really care about your fantasy football team right i mean he's just going to attack the defense whatever he feels you know if if they got a weak linebacker core they're gonna he's no doubt they'll not be looking at mitchell they'll be looking to run something more over the middle with you know uh crossing routes and things like that and then if they have lighter corners but they have better cover linebackers they're gonna go heavy mitchell on the outside and and do it that way I, I don't think it's going to be predictable and i think you know so many teams have struggled with this i'm not going to pretend that i can predict it patriots were number one in the nfl in point differential last season by a wide margin they scored 191 more points than their opponents this is how Legarrette blunt scores 18 touchdowns for that reason when malcolm mitchell was on the field last year he wasn't getting targets because he logged a 62% snap rate last year. That was a snap share. So what I guessed for his 2017 snap share was actually less than what his 2016 snap share was. It's just that he wasn't targeted when he was on the field. His hog rate targets per snap only 9.5%, 94th in the NFL. But when he was targeted, they targeted him in the red zone, nine red zone receptions, was 17th in the league, and he was generally efficient on any given down and distance, plus 15.9 production premium, number 20 in the NFL, delivering fantasy points above expectation on any given down and distance compared to league average. So Malcolm Mitchell excelled as a rookie. He was efficient as a rookie, and we love that in Dynasty. That is a leading indicator in Dynasty. We like to sell previous year efficiency oftentimes in redraft because it's very difficult for the extremely efficient seasons like Tevin Coleman's season to be replicated. Anyone with a brain can figure that one out. But in Dynasty, it is an indicator these players have talent, that they're good players. And in general, what do you want to do? You want to compile good players on your Dynasty League team. And regardless of how the target share is divided this year, we can agree Malcolm Mitchell's a good player. And if you're looking to compile good players on good offenses, well, he checks two incredibly important boxes in Dynasty. 
as does Chris Hogan. I think Chris Hogan is, in and of himself, a good football player. And now he's guaranteed to get starter snaps on one of the most efficient offenses in the league. And last year, Chris Hogan led the NFL in yards per target. He was top 12 in production premium and top 5 in target premium on playerprofiler.com. So when you compared what Chris Hogan was giving the Patriots... On a per-target basis, his output was plus 21.7% more than the average of the other wide receivers in that Patriots passing game. No one's fantasy stock will rise more after this injury than Chris Hogan's. And it's not even close. So every member of this offense, especially in the passing game, continues to be a buy. But now, like you said, James White is even more valuable. Chris Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell, certainly more valuable. And now you have to consider, oh, wait, who's going to be the fifth receiver? Perhaps Austin Carr? So I just looked it up real quick. Um, Three wide receiver sets. New England was 50% of their plays, uh, middle of the pack in terms of the NFL ranking. And then for 21 personnel, 16%, which is two wide receivers, um, towards the upper end of the league. And then... What is jumping out at me right now is 22 personnel, which is the heavy set that you mentioned before, one wide receiver. They were they led the NFL 11% with 117. Those are essentially wasted snaps for the wide receiver. Exactly. And and like I said, that's putting two running backs on the field. That would be a White Lewis. That would be, you know, Gillisey Lewis. I, I think it makes it more likely that you're going to see these guys like Burkhead, Lewis, White, get more targets what about austin carr nate oh man big fan of austin carr i can't believe that this happened i mean it's it's tough to see edelman go down especially how late we are in the year right now can we just not do this can we not do it please i don't want to do that show where we placate the injured player we don't really care okay all we care about look is the next man up and how this helps the other players in that offense that we might own in our Dynasty League teams. Can we not pretend that we care about Julian Edelman, please? I mean, drop the facade, Nate. Let's just, we're not doing that on the show. We're going to talk about players getting injured and how that affects the other players on the team, how that enhances their value. That's what we're going to focus on. And we're not going to play this game where we pretend to care about Julian Edelman. Okay, look, since we don't care about Julian Edelman, let's talk about the fact that Austin Carr, as an undrafted rookie in... Did you realize how many models he's had sex with in the last five years? I mean, get out of here. There's a person in the world who can handle a torn ACL right now and it not necessarily affect his happiness, it's Julian Edelman. He has Super Bowl rings and super models in his pants every night. He's going to be fine. Do not placate the man. Okay, so here's the deal. I feel bad for the fantasy owners that drafted him. I honestly, yes, I get what you're saying. No, you don't feel bad for them. You're lying again. You don't care about any other fantasy league player except yourself. Nate List cares about one person in the fantasy community, and that person's name is Nate List. Okay, we'll check it out. Edelman shares? I don't own Julian Edelman anywhere. He doesn't own Julian Edelman anywhere, Kevin. He couldn't give two shits about Julian Edelman or Julian Edelman Dynasty League owners. He's a fraud. Move on. Enough with the disingenuous <laughs> Okay. Edelman. Look, okay, I'm sorry. Well, let's not waste another breath. You're not sorry. I am sorry. You're not I'm sorry. sorry. I'm doing this right don't now. say you're sorry because we know you're not sorry. Just don't. I'm a little sorry. Don't give lip service. 
to the injured players as if you care about their health in any way. You don't. And you don't care about the fantasy owners either. Okay. I don't care about your fantasy team. I don't necessarily care at all about Julian Edelman. Thank you. What I do care about is just talking about Austin Carr for one minute. At least you're honest now. We can reset the show and we can be an honest show now. Thank you. Austin Carr is a great player. The problem is he's a rookie. He's in Belichick's offense. He mans the slot. That's what he did at Northwestern. I don't know that he's going to get much playing time as a rookie. Spoiler alert, he's not going to get playing time as a rookie. I can help you with that one. Yeah, he's not going to get playing time, so that's fine. So we like him because he's rising up with the Edelman injury. It's more opportunity to be a part of this team through the regular season. Edelman's getting older. Amendola's getting older, like we talked about before the show started. Is it Amendola or Amendola? I say Amendola. Okay, you're the tiebreaker, Kevin. How is it said? Amendola. Yes! Whoa, really? That's how oh, I brought say him on. Oh, no. We have to ask the audience as well. Contact the show at Sonic Truth Pod at Roto Underworld. Is it Amandola or Amandola? I say Amandola. I could be wrong here. I think you are I wrong. Say Am- Am- I mean, I think that's just way the most like local sports broadcasters say it. So Hey, Amandola. Hey, Amandola. You see that Amandola catch over there? <laughs> Here's the important question. Is it what are you, get- Connecticut? You're Connecticut, so you lose the Boston accent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amandola. Yeah, it was a good catch there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask. It's important. Is it GIF or is it JIF? We're not going there. Let's shift the focus to Austin Carr. Austin Carr, Nate. Austin Carr. You like Austin Carr. I like Austin Carr. The the issue here is that he's got he's got a huge mountain to climb, but this is the offense that you want to be a part of. <laughs> mountain to climb. If you're if you are primarily a slot receiver and he was very good in college, this is the team that you wanted to go to. He He wasn't just very good in college. He was exceptional at Northwestern University, forty six point eight percent dominator rating, ninety second percentile at a big 10 conference school he has the exact measurables of cooper cup cooper cup and austin carr are both best comparable to austin collie they aren't fast they're not explosive but they're hugely agile they both stand six foot 202 pounds i mean carr is a discount cooper cup who was actually more productive when you look at his share of receiving yards and touchdowns at the college level than even the deity that is Cooper Cup. They were both late breakout players, low yards per reception, and they both caught over 100 passes at the college level. Why not Austin Carr? Austin Carr is now on the Patriots. Cooper Cup is on the Rams. Austin Carr's in a better situation. He's just lower on the depth chart. I love Austin Carr. I wish I owned Austin Carr in more leagues. I'm mad at myself that I wasn't more loyal to the Northwestern University alum, Austin Carr. I should have just blindly drafted players from my alma mater, even though that's never been a good strategy because Northwestern players (laughs) never play well in the NFL. I should have drafted him anyway, just blindly, based on college loyalty i should have been drafting him because he was dominant he had the highest dominator rating in this rookie class think about that and he went undrafted that just goes to show how irrational nfl teams are that they're drafting he's a joke player 
He's actually the worst player. Like, it's actually hilarious how bad he is. Noah Brown. Noah Brown was drafted in the seventh round by the Dallas Cowboys when they could have had Austin Carr. In fact, the Dallas Cowboys fucked up two ways because they burned a fourth rounder on Ryan Switzer they didn't need to, and they could have drafted any other position in the fourth round and then drafted Austin Carr in the seventh round, and they would have received a superior version of Ryan Switzer. Dallas Cowboys fail again. Austin Carr ran 97.7% of his routes out of the slot. So, you know, depending on how the league values slot receivers, we're going to see it next year with Christian Kirk. Depending on how the league values a slot receiving asset, that could be a big reason why Austin Carr fell as far as he did in this draft, which was all the way out of it. NFL teams chose to draft Isaiah McKenzie, Shelton Gibson, Stacey Coley, Rodney Adams, and David Moore ahead of Austin Carr. That is embarrassing. This is the evidence you need to prove that NFL teams don't know what the fuck they're doing and don't have access to playerprofiler.com. They have no appreciation for the college dominator metric, but clearly the Patriots do. We've talked about this on many occasions. Bill Belichick loves to dismiss advanced metrics as hocus pocus. Meanwhile, they're drafting players and signing free agents based on, hello, advanced metrics. And we have more breaking news. The Kansas City Chiefs have lost Spencer Ware potentially for the season. Unlike the Julian Edelman injury where we're speculating based on what we saw on the replay, Spencer Ware, he's being taken off the field on a cart, and it's never a good sign when you're taken off the field on the trainer's cart on August 25th. We know Spencer Ware is going to miss time. I mean, maybe not. Maybe there's a miracle, but I doubt it. Spencer Ware is going to miss games. That means it's the Kareem Hunt show in Kansas City. Does this make Kareem Hunt the number one running back in this class for 2017? No. 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 Not that high. I'm just going to the extreme. I'm testing the waters here because fantasy gamers love to go out to best case scenario, particularly when they like the coach. And a lot of fantasy gamers love to tout Andy Reid's genius. He loves to funnel targets through the running back because the quarterback is Alex Smith, and that's just logical. Given the fact the quarterback is Alex Smith, and Andy Reid has a history of funneling touches through the running back, what is Kareem Hunt's value this season and beyond, Kevin? So this season, I think you can see him, you you might be able to see him jump someone like Cook, who, you know, know, I've heard this a couple of places where it's not like that I like Latavius Murray, but I think... Vikings will like him enough to limit Cook's production and muddy it up. Same thing with Mixon. I think Hill, as much as we don't like him as a fantasy community, and clearly he's not a quote-unquote good running back. No one likes Jeremy Hill. Excuse me. Christopher Harris likes Jeremy Hill still. Christopher Harris still thinks Jeremy Hill is good. (laughs) Shots fired. So I I think that you could see him kind of maybe creep up above those guys for this year. But in Dynasty, where I would settle out is probably, I think he— becomes he was always in that five to eight nine ish rb range you know in that mix with foreman camara those kind of guys who whoever you like amongst those guys i think he could probably usurp camara as the top running back beyond the big four so you know i think fournette mixon cook mccaffrey i think those four guys are solidified in the top four 
dynasty rookie running backs, if you will. But I think that fifth guy, I think Hunt becomes in the conversation because the Chiefs read won't look back. You know, if Hunt does well, Spencer Ware is the next West Jamal Charles. He'll run through them. He don't really care. He's not going to keep loyalty to Ware, even coming back next year, you know. So I could totally see Hunt just running with that role. Um, so he, I think five is probably his ceiling in terms of dynasty this year, but he could probably creep up into top three, four. I think you make a great point. I think that Kareem Hunt could be the leading scorer among rookie running backs this season, this season, but his projected lifetime value has to be lower than Fournette, than Dalvin Cook, than Joe Mixon, than Christian McCaffrey because of the draft capital investment made by the respective teams. At the end of the day, Kareem Hunt was a late third round pick. And those running backs are generally expendable. And we know what's coming in the 2018 class. We've talked about it on the show multiple times. The running backs that are coming. If Spencer Ware is lost for the season and the Kansas City Chiefs are thin at running back this year, look for them to draft a running back next year who has a better talent profile than Kareem Hunt. So that's the danger in running out to best case scenario on Kareem Hunt and paying a first round pick plus to acquire him this year, it could be a one-year rental. He could then slide back into a satellite back role next year, a la Jarek McKinnon from 2016 to 2017. That's why as soon as the word that Spencer Ware is indefinitely out for the year, that's when you're selling Kareem Hunt. Just like you said, I mean, imagine if a guy like Kalen Balazs falls next year to the late second round and the Kansas City Chiefs are sitting there looking at their depth. Spencer Ware's coming off of an ACL. Kareem Hunt has a good, bad. We don't know what kind of year he's even going to have. We know opportunity will be there. Then a guy like that with this incredible talent profile is sitting there. Why wouldn't they do it? This is a team that's always lean heavily to feature a running back and a guy like Balage or someone of that nature would be a great fit so I can't believe we're doing this right now all these people out there that own Kareem Hunt are celebrating in the streets and we're talking about how the Kansas City Chiefs are going to draft a running back next year the first two rounds and relegate Kareem Hunt to pass catching duties (laughs) that's that's what happens right let's go let's go over the list real quick let's go over the list What if I told you that a non-Power 5 conference rookie running back drafted in the third round that's actually less athletic than Spencer Ware? He is less athletic. He runs a 4.62 at 215 pounds. That's a sub-50th percentile speed score, and his agility score is even worse. 1175 13th percentile. He has a 102.7 19th percentile Spark X score. This is a non athlete who is not particularly productive at the college level. He was at Toledo and he couldn't exceed a 30% dominator rating at Toledo. I don't get the fascination with Kareem Hunt. I never have. I know he's a great satellite back. The 10.4% college target share tells you this. Over 40 receptions last season. That's very impressive for a pass catcher to be the next theoretic. That's fine if that's what you think Kareem Hunt's optimal role is for an NFL team. That's all good. That's all fine. But you will see him be traded for a price that is the equivalent of an elite young running back. It's going to happen. I'm telling you this already. Spoiler alert. That's going to happen. You will start to see the ridiculous trades involving Kareem Hunt start to roll in tonight. It will happen tonight will be the kickoff of ridiculous Kareem Hunt trade season. 
All right, Kevin, question. 2018 draft. You're holding Kareem Hunt right now. What pick are you selling Kareem Hunt for? Are you selling for the 110? No. No. What? No. No. Yeah, are, you, are you selling for 106? No. Take the production, bro. If he's going to get burned eventually, he's not the long-term answer. That's a fact. It doesn't matter. He's not- All he needs to do is perform well for the first five weeks. He helps your fantasy team make the playoffs, and then you can trade him. So here's where I really, uh, you know, in Dynasty, this is where I, I really make my money. And I, I think the ideal case is you take somebody like Hunt, you package maybe your future first, and you actually go up. I have this thing where you say, I say ponies for horses, not horses for ponies. So what I take is I take Hunt, who I view as a pony, who's probably a middling first round running back and and capitalize on that value. And I take him and my future first and then I upgrade to Brandon Cooks. That's how you do it, Nate. That's how you do it. On these Dynasty podcasts, people love to just talk about players in terms of their what first round picks would you trade for them? Like that's a currency. Future first rounders are a currency, and that's the way we can define player value. But it's irrelevant because I don't do trades like that. I don't trade a player straight up for picks and lose the production for 2017, a season in which I'm trying to win in every single dynasty league. If I had to trade Kareem Hunt for picks, I would wait until the season was over to do it. But what Kevin is saying is the ideal strategy. You let him have a couple good games. And then you trade him for a running back you like, a wide receiver you like, and picks. So a treasure trove of assets where you force your opponent to overpay. Or you package players and picks with Kareem Hunt and go up and get a Brandon Cooks. That's how you play it. I wouldn't be shocked to see people do Hunt in a second for Freeman. I I mean, I think that's the kind of, you're going to see those kind of deals happen. Yes, yes, yes. You're absolutely going to see people leverage it because what's going to happen now is the the narrative of Reed's running backs, the the scenario that's forming for Hunt without wear is going to be built up to this godly figure that this is just an unreal potential for Hunt to be built into. And he might even have a productive 2017. But to me, I'm just not that. You know, between his profile and and the kind of running back he is, and not to say he can't be good, it's just that I think that if you're valuing Hunt at a mid first value, I think that all he can do is hit that value. He's not going to be a like I was just discussing. I don't think he'll be a top four or top three or even top two running r- rookie running back in this class. He's not going to get you to that next level. I'd rather pay on a second round rookie level pick for that and then see someone go up. You don't want to wait, though, and find out that he plays like shit for the first three weeks of the season. If his value is going to spike, if right now someone in your league looks at him like he's worth a 103-type value, I'm not saying trading for rookie picks, but if they look at him now like, damn, I would have taken him at 105 or whatever, and now he's more valuable than he's ever been right now without seeing him play a real down, I'm selling him before he plays because all he can do is hurt you. What do you think of this package? Willie Sneed, Duke Johnson— in a 2017 second rounder for Kareem Hunt. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I think guys like Snead you can find every year. I think he's a pony. What if I make it Stephon Diggs? Would you do it? Yeah, then I think you're getting a little bit more where you're trying to get a higher caliber wide receiver. Keenan Allen? I mean, I could drop it on you guys, but you might, you know, I might not make it through the rest of the show. But Keenan Allen's a top five receiver for me in Dynasty. Yeah, so yes, so that's what you would do. That's the move right there. That is exactly the move. We found it. The right trade 
for Kevin O'Brien. I think you would have to do Hunt plus to get Keenan, but still. I know you say that it would be Hunt plus, not Allen plus. Watch what happens. The hype around Kareem Hunt tethered to Andy Reid is going to reach absurd proportions. Just watch. Just watch. It's going to happen. And it's going to be amazing. I agree. It's just on Keenan Allen. I think that with him and all that surrounded Keenan Allen, the sellers are already sold. And the people that have held on are like me. They've kind of held on. So even trust me, I own him in over 75% of my dynasty league. What about Doug Baldwin? Holy smokes. I'd be all over Baldwin for Hunt. It wouldn't even take me a second if I was getting it. But I imagine a smart owner is going to ask for more than Hunt for Baldwin. That gets harder because now you got an age component. And that has to do with, you know, I balance my dynasty rosters for now. I want to win now, mid-range and long-term. So now you're talking about you're trading a youth piece off your roster to acquire more age. So, like, if I'm loaded or if I got um, some of my rosters that are a little bit more mature... Say I have Antonio Brown, um, Crabtree, you know, a couple of these older guys, maybe AJ Green. And then you've got Hunt, who you kind of maybe drafted at the late first when all these rookie drafts are happening. Now he's kind of like your youth that's filling up the back end. Now you're trading for another old wide receiver. So I I wouldn't like it in that situation as much. But so in general, but isn't it a trap though? We're all agreeing that we think hunt isn't going to be good. So would you rather hold on to a guy just because he's young? I mean, I'm looking to get rid of him because I don't believe in him and his hype is so high. It's, it's projected outcome versus projected value. Current, you know, hype is so high on him and I don't know that it's going to be fantastic. I'd rather have Baldwin if I'm going to eventually take a loss holding Hunt. That's just the way I look at it. I think when we're having this intellectual conversation, it's easier to talk about young players for young players. Then the age-based roster construction component doesn't factor into the conversation. So that's why I'm talking about, oh, if I can get Jamison Crowder and a Duke Johnson and picks, that would be tempting. I think for Baldwin, the thing is, is that I think that's a, it's a fair deal on value, but I think with the newness of the wear, your market, your micro market in your dynasty league is going to be better than Baldwin. So I wouldn't go to that. You know what I mean? Like if you, if this news didn't happen, say you held out for better deals, they didn't come through, you went after the deals that me and Matt are talking about and, and the market in your league is drying up a little bit. I would say, okay, yeah, let's, that would be kind of like my plan C, right? And I'd be okay with that value wise. Well, the problem with Baldwin, by the way, is you talked about all of the Keenan Allen owners now are the diehards. The Doug Baldwin owners in every league oh, yeah. are the super oh, yeah. Doug Baldwin diehards. You couldn't get Doug Baldwin for Todd Gurley right now. I think the Baldwin guys, they have guys like Edelman. They have other guys. So with these injuries, what you'll find, and this is kind of a, an offshoot dynasty strategy point to bring up, is that I start to target the players, the dynasty players that are losing players. So, like, for instance, if you go in your league and you see, like, a guy's losing Ware, a guy's losing Edelman, and he's got Baldwin, I'm going after Baldwin. Because then he's going to sell Baldwin. Because he's losing pieces as this preseason goes on, right? So that's a different situation where you would start to get people loosening that grip of what you're talking about. So on Crowder, I think that that would be a better idea where you trading. I think there's value always adding running back to receiver. So even though you might view Hunt as being of similar value than Crowder, 
talent-wise or situation-wise, whatever you may put them on par, I think the inherent value that you get back is that you're trading a running back for a receiver in Dynasty. That's You're getting uptick in value just on that alone. Right, and if you add Duke Johnson, then I'm getting a player that I think has more talent and will play a similar role in the long term. I'm holding my breath because I don't like Duke Johnson, but... Well, we don't like Kareem Hunt either, so... Insert player there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's all that same idea, though. I mean, insert your favorite player, right? It could be Johnson. So you don't like Duke Johnson now. I think in two years you'll like Duke Johnson. So who's a player you didn't like two years ago that you were dismissive of that you like now? You know, I had to actually look back. Two years is a long time. So I was dismissive of David Johnson. Uh, I thought that he didn't have the vision or patience to be what he is now. And his explosiveness completely blew me away and proved me wrong. So David Johnson, for sure, two years ago as a player that I was, I had, I can't tell you, endless debates on Twitter, Freeman versus Johnson. Uh, and not that I turned out to be wrong on Freeman, but certainly David Johnson's top two now in Dynasty. Right there, admitting you're wrong on David Johnson. That takes a special kind of person to come on the Sonic Truth podcast. The imperative word, truth. The word being truth, the key word there being truth, to come on the Sonic Truth podcast and tell the truth about how you felt about David Johnson two years ago. I didn't hear the breaking news. Matt Kelly just said that he's been wrong before. Wait a minute. I need to go back to that. Wait a minute. (laughs) Roll that back, breaking news, slice it in for me. It doesn't happen often. We're proud of you, Kevin. And I've been wrong many times. I was wrong about Jordan Howard last year. The buzzards on Twitter will never let me forget that. And I'm trending wrong already on Cooper Cup because I had Josh Reynolds ranked ahead of Cooper Cup. Josh Reynolds, who I haven't heard from all preseason. I mean, is Josh Reynolds in the NFL the guy I had ranked higher than Cooper Cup, who I thought was the better rookie Rams receiver? It turns out it's not even close. And then later I learned that Josh Reynolds wasn't even the most productive wide receiver on Texas A&M last year. That wide receiver is... Hello, Nate. Hello. I'm waving at you. You're waving at me. I was pointing at you. We did a show on this guy from Texas A&M that you love. Dude, I'm blank right now. I'm just I'm just thinking about who's the guy from Texas A&M that you love. Oh, Christian Kirk. I don't realize we're still talking about guys that are in college right now. I apologize. You weren't even looking at me and you weren't listening to the show. You were totally spaced out and checked out right there. I needed you one time on this show to give me the Christian Kirk. And you just were looking down at the ground. You didn't even know I was cueing you. And then once you finally shook the cobwebs out of your head, you had no idea what the hell I was talking about. That was the equivalent of you throwing an alley-oop, and I didn't even jump. I just... (laughs) Lag back. I was looking around. I don't know what to do. I apologize. You were like James Harden playing defense right there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not good at it. His man cuts to the basket and he looks around wondering where he went, pointing at the three-point line saying, I, I thought he was there. I, where'd he go? Let's go rapid fire. Uh, and I just want to point out the fact that every time anybody ever says rapid fire, it's not rapid fire, but <laughs> we'll see if it's approachable. We're doing rapid fire for real. 
Oh, all right. Whose dynasty stock rose the most this preseason? Zay Jones, Kenny Galladay, or Austin Carr? Galladay. Yeah, clearly Galladay. Clearly Galladay? You sure? Zay Jones' stock has risen significantly. Now, that question doesn't define what I think we can agree or disagree is going to be the final outcome of their professional production. But if we're just talking about who's moved up the most, it's got to be Kenny Galladay. I mean, he's had so much off-season buzz. I like Zay Jones. You're moving guys up based on buzz, not based on depth chart positioning. Let's let's go look at what he's doing right now. He's got one catch for two yards. Who? I'm just saying we talked about Kenny Galladay. We talked about this last week. And he was underwhelming in the last preseason game, too. He had one good preseason game. Right. And that's justifying all this buzz. I love Kenny Galladay. Please do not get this twisted. I love Kenny Galladay. I'll say it again. I love Kenny Galladay. But he's still the number three receiver on the Lions. And he's older than Zay Jones, who's the number one receiver on the Bills who doesn't have a broken sternum. So how is Zay Jones not rising more quickly up the dynasty rankings than Kenny Galladay? It's baffling. Now, I already had Kenny Galladay ranked ahead of Zay Jones. I always have. I always will. Because I think Zay Jones was a college compiler. And when I'm looking at the respective talent profiles, I think Kenny Galladay blows away Zay Jones. And in the long run, I think Kenny Galladay will accumulate significantly more lifetime value, lifetime fantasy points than Zay Jones. So for that reason, I will and have always had Kenny Galladay ranked well ahead of Zay Jones. But when you look at the fantasy community, at the landscape, you would think Zay Jones would be rising faster, would you not? No, because I think a lot of people had Zay Jones in the top 20 of their rookie rankings to begin with, rather than where they had Galladay. I think for most people in the community, Uh... Galladay was outside 36. I think he was way off the radar. Now you're putting a player that's on the radar, maybe in the top 25. This explains so much. I am no longer befuddled by this. I was confused because I forgot how misguided so many fantasy gamers are. I just assumed everybody knew how good Kenny Galladay was. Whoops, that's my mistake. That's a common mistake where I forget that most people are not as smart as I am when it comes to evaluating players in Dynasty League football. Nate, did I just softball that time or what? Yeah, no, you definitely did. That is, We don't do that on this show, and that's something you need to learn and go back and review the tape on and just never let happen again. It's an embarrassing mistake to make out there. Hey, this is Rapid Fire. At running back, we know the big riser, of course, is Kareem Hunt. You can now package him to get Keenan Allen and Stephon Diggs. (laughs) It's unbelievable, but it's true. Who else at the running back position is rising fast this preseason? The fastest of the risers. Is it Chris Carson? Is it Marlon Mack? Is it Tariq Cohen? Is it someone else? Eileen Mack for this one. Yeah, I'm going to also lean Mac, but after this preseason game, if Seattle didn't have such a talent-heavy depth chart, I think Chris Carson would be a really great name to monitor. But draft position and Frank Gore's age and what Marlon Mack has done, I, I think Mack has to be at the front of this group. And there was no buzz around Mack a week ago. This is why I don't rank players or draft players based on buzz, unlike Nate Liss. 
I sell on Buzz. I don't buy on Buzz. And both these guys are laughing off to the side. They don't know it. This is this is ridiculous. No, I agree. I, I love Marlon Mack in this offense. We talked about it. I did a keyword search on YouTube looking for Marlon Mack clips. I found eight Marlon Mack clips from Roto Underworld Radio and the Sonic Truth podcast. And the titles were something along the lines of Frank Gore's job is not safe. Don't be surprised if Marlon Mack is the best rookie running back. Like, we've been touting the shit out of this guy. Oh, yeah. And a week ago. Oh, yeah. The fantasy drones woke up and go, oh, I guess Marlon Mack's pretty good. You think? Maybe listen to this show once and you'll figure it out because we talk about him every week. Agree or disagree with this quote. There's a real possibility that Gore goes down with a multi-week injury and comes back to either a running back by committee or even worse, no job at all. He's a running back, is he not? Is Frank Gore a running back? No, he's yes. not human. If Frank Gore is a running back, if he's technically an RB in the NFL, it's likely he will experience a multi-week injury. Or, like LaShawn McCoy, he will experience a multi-week injury but then try to play through it anyway because his coaches pressure him into it. Has Gore ever missed a game? I mean, this dude is a cockroach of running backs. I mean, he's... He hasn't missed a game in the last decade. I mean, I'm not banking on that. But that's not to say Mac doesn't... I mean, they tried to give Turbin carries, goal line carries. They, I mean, they did try to play him even with Gore on the field or in the game or active for the game i should say so i don't think necessarily mac doesn't and that's all you're really looking for a player like mac he doesn't have to give you 2017 production right now to stash him you know mac is the kind of guy that like for someone like me that i trade away all my rookie picks i will go and get a player like mac to fill my roster and stash him and i'll be patient with him for a year let gore have 2017 i mean how the guy's gonna die eventually he's gonna get off the colts eventually it's got to happen. Whether it's now or later, I'm not going to pin it to this year. Die. That's morbid. Yeah, we don't talk about that on this show either. Nate does that a lot. Nate loves killing players. It's one of his favorite activities on this show. <laughs> so, so is this actually, where I'm supposed to go on a rant? Do you really care if these players die? You're going to go to his funeral? Should I yeah, come down no. on your throat? I should play the <laughs> Matt Kelly role right now? You care? Yeah. You're going to call his wife? You're going to send him flowers? What are you going to do? Well, it's quite the leap from torn ACL to dying. But... <laughs> What I will say about Marlon Mack, the Indianapolis Colts do not have a number three wide receiver of consequence. What did we talk about with the New England Patriots? James White's value goes up with the loss of Julian Edelman. More targets for White, more targets for Lewis, more targets for Burkhead. Well, the Colts have not had a number three receiver for a long time. Who is it? Philip Dorsett? Is it Kamar Aiken? Please. So I can see them playing a lot of Marlon Mack in the slot. And for him to be active in the passing game, a la Theo Riddick. Duke Johnson, he's a satellite back plus. I think he has some standalone value as a flex option based on the target share. I think he will command in that offense. And then his upside is top 10 running back in the NFL if anything happens to Frank Gore. That's why I'm so enthusiastic about Marlon Mack. It's not an improbable just because I think last year they ran, I'm looking at 31%-ish, 30% with two tight ends. And are they going to do that? I mean, could you see Mack pushing receiving role more than maybe their, whoever their second tight end is? 
It's possible that they go away from this two tight end set. Well, it is because Eric Swoop is hurt. They need blockers. That's a bad O-line with a quarterback that's perpetually injured and possibly not even having Andrew Luck early on. If Scott Tolzien's back there, you can just... Okay, okay, enough, enough. We're not talking about Scott Tolzien. Where does that analysis rabbit hole lead us? Well, definitely not uh, speed question answering, that's for sure. (laughs) Because once again, we've evaded that. That's right. What about a buzzard email? We should get to a buzzard email. And as always, the buzzard email is sponsored by Maisie. Kevin, are you familiar with Maisie? Only because I listen to this podcast. Oh, there we go. So you don't use it. We need to convert you. It is a phenomenal app. One of the best apps out there. It's the first fantasy-focused collaborative app. I use it in all of my leagues. We converted from everything else that we used to use. They've made a ton of updates on it from looks to the GIF generator. We can debate on how to say that later. They've added in so much more functionality. And like Matt and I talked about last week, the best part about it is conversationally what it does for your league, the activity that it drives up. I recently moved one of my leagues to MFL this year, and we also used Maisie. And I've watched the activity in my league from trades to the DMs to all this stuff just take a major uptick. And people love being in the league more because it's centered around the functionality of Maisie. You can find it in your Apple Store, Android, M-A-Z-E-Y. Matt, what do you think about Maisie? I just sent a GIF to my league mates in the leagues where I own Brandon Cooks. It's a dog jumping off a dock into the lake, but he's wearing a rocket pack. So he's shooting (laughs) off into the sky, little doggy shooting off into the sky. That's Brandon Cook's fantasy value. That's what I sent to my league mates on Maisie with the GIF generator. Love Maisie. If you are trying to communicate with your league on a message board, please stop. That's so 2005. Get with it. 2017. It's all about Maisie. I thought for a minute you sent him peanut butter. I was like, hey, in this app you can send groceries? That's pretty cool. So the originator of the technology, the guy that invented GIFs, calls them GIFs. But some linguists believe that it's actually GIF. When you have a G with an I and an F, it's normally GIF. I don't disagree with that. The linguists will tell you that. But the guy that invented it is calling it GIF, so I'm calling it GIF. Just like if my name was Matt Kelly and someone tried to call me Matt Kelly, I'd be like, no, 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 it's Kelly. I'd still call you Kelly. What? Okay. okay, we need to get to this email because we're still supposed to be on rapid fire. When I read this email, it made my blood boil. And Matt, I'm assuming it's going to make yours boil too. Here we go. Here's our buzzard email. This is, this is flipping ridiculous. I didn't appreciate the blatant F.U. to the Sonic Truth listeners last week. Stick to football. Don't waste our time. You know what I hate? Bad drivers. What's the most obnoxious thing that bad drivers do on the road, Kevin? Merge late. You know, you you sent me the show sheet, and no lie, I was going into Boston for uh, my wife had my daughter had surgery, and I'm going into Boston, and I hate these people that merge late. Everyone's backed up in one lane, left only lane, and they cruise by on your right hand side. Oh, they side, sneak in. And they the sneaker inners. Like they sneak in. I hate those people. Oh, that's frustrating. I actually don't mind those people because I am one of those people sometimes, just because I get confused and I'm like, why is everybody waiting in this one lane? This lane's free. Oh, wait, I have to get over. Oh, sorry, everybody. Oh, let me just uh, try to move my way in here and don't mind me. So I've been that guy. The driver that annoys me the most 
is the guy that doesn't merge fast enough in front of me. I'm slowing down to let you in. I'm being polite. Go. Go, dude. Go. Hit the gas pedal. Go. I'm not going to slow down anymore. You need to go now. You need to merge and then switch lanes or accelerate and get out of my way. I'm letting you in, so go. Do not slow down as I'm slowing down. When I'm slowing down, that means you need to go. Punch it. Go. Go. Flash your high beams, man. Solves it every time. You beep, they get spooked. But if you flash a high beam, they'll go. They'll punch it. Go. What about you, Nate? Oh, man. The worst one for me has to be when somebody is... Think about how I want to word this exactly. When somebody's next to you and you want to get over and you got your blinker on and you know how you do the one for one, everybody's supposed to let the next person in and they do the hands at 10 and two looking straight forward and they know that you're there, but they're not going to let you in and you speed up a little bit. And even though they air quotes, can't see you or aren't acknowledging you, they speed up like proportionally. And you're like, come on, is this a coincidence that you're, you're keeping up with me enough that I can't get in? Those are the people I don't like the cowardice people that won't even make eye contact with you. That's when I generally look over and I give them like the really, really, you're not going to let me in. My people have been oppressed for thousands of years, Matt. What if I told you that that driver was Carl Safchik? Oh, God. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what. The- I mean, that would be great revenge for Carl. You agitate him <laughs> on Twitter and he gets his revenge on the highway. That would be just apropos, perfect. But I want to move right to contrived dichotomy. And I do the whole thing where I, you know, I distort my voice. You talked about how you have Antonio Brown as your number one wide receiver in Dynasty. I think that's a hot take because he's going to be 29 years old soon. I still think that's a, an extreme ranking for Antonio Brown. Even though I also have him in the top three, I think number one is aggressive considering Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans are in the league. Why Antonio Brown at one? Because I think he's the Jerry Rice of our generation. I mean, Jerry Rice at age 33 had his career year. What is it? 170-something targets, 1,800 yards, crazy touchdown production. Um, When Montana was fading, they thought that he wouldn't have a quarterback going ahead. And I'm not trying to say that the Steelers will get a Hall of Fame quarterback like they did with Young to resurrect his career. But, I mean, Jerry Rice into his late 30s, uh, this is a favorite stat of mine that I see. I think it's uh, Jacob Rickroad. He gives this stat where Jerry Rice's age 39 and 40 season combined crush Cooper's 21 and 22-year season. Cooper Cop? Uh, you know, it's just, no, Amari Cooper. Just kidding. So, and here's the key for me, right? If you look at a lot of receivers that have fallen off the cliff or have been subject to this negative age curve, if you will, at the ends of their careers, it's that they've had a number of injuries leading up to the end of their career. Calvin Johnson just basically said no mas. He patted the table because his knees and every morning he got up, he was in pain. Antonio Brown wakes up like Tom Brady. This guy's such in great shape. No injuries. He hasn't had the foot injuries Julio's had. He hasn't even had the the issues that A.J. Green's had, that Des Bryant's had, that all these other receivers have dealt with through their careers, that those things are going to catch up to them. Their joints are going to get sore. They're going to hate waking up in the morning, and they're going to say, I have enough money, and they're just going to quit. Antonio Brown is going to be Jerry Rice 
because he's so physically fit to do it. He's been lucky, but luck is where perspiration meets preparation. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> luck meets, yeah, I guess. Look at the medical history report on playerprofiler.com for Antonio Brown. He had a high ankle sprain in 2012 and a concussion in the playoffs a couple of years ago. That's it. That's it. I, that's clean as far as I'm concerned. I mean... That's it. I mean, that's it. A guy that's logging that number of snaps to suffer one regular season injury of any kind that would put him on the injury report in five years? Think about that. Think about how improbable that is. That's amazing. Or that, it, you know, this this would be the opposite of an injury-prone thing, that if you think that there's anything physiologically just somebody has, you know, hamstring injuries over and over and over. And if you if you at all subscribe to injury prone, which Dynasty is full of people who believe in injury prone, why can't the opposite be true that you have just a player that's... He's physiologically gifted. He's absolutely physiologically gifted. I don't think it's up for dispute at this point. And then Julio Jones, if we're doing a contrived dichotomy between, say, Antonio Brown and Julio Jones, well, Julio Jones is perpetually on the injury report with a bad foot. He's on the preseason injury report with a bad foot. He had all offseason to rest the foot, and he's right back on the injury report in preseason with a sore foot. This is going to plague him for the rest of his career. You cannot have Julio Jones ranked ahead of Antonio Brown in Dynasty. You simply can't do it. I mean, you can, but you're doing it wrong. Absolutely. I mean, I think those are easy because they're so close in age, right? And they have so little that separates them. Well, the thing is, that's a year of age. Many dynasty analysts will have Julio Jones ranked higher simply because he's a year younger and their production is equivalent. Well, A, their production isn't equivalent. Antonio Brown has outproduced Julio Jones and he will likely play in the league five years longer than Julio Jones will. Got me sold, man. The next contrived dichotomy. I just like that voice, by the way. That's a funny voice. Joe Williams or Matt Breida? Uh, give me the cheaper one with Breida. <laughs> yes, that's the correct answer. Matt Breida was a dominant college runner until last year, where he mysteriously went from a seven yards per carry running back to a three yards per carry. The most egregious yards per carry collapse we've ever seen at the college level. Inexplicable. The new coaching staff essentially crippled the offense. That's the only explanation because Matt Breida was a college mega producer and he has a 127.788th percentile Spark X score. So he's a phenomenal athlete, one of the better athletes in this draft class, even though he wasn't even drafted. And I think he's a superior player and a much better value than Joe Williams. So glad you didn't say Joe Williams. That was a test, Kevin. You passed the test. You're getting an A-plus for the show, Kevin, just based on the Joe Williams versus Matt Breida answer alone. The next contrived dichotomy. Chris Godwin or Taewon Taylor? This is a tough one, right? Yeah, I think both are top 24. Uh, I have Godwin at 19 and Taylor at 21 overall. So right close. I think they're back-to-back in terms of wide receivers. Um, you know, I was hoping to see Godwin beat out Humphreys a little bit. So I'm a little disappointed there. You know, in the preseason, we really haven't seen Godwin... Uh, flash as much he hasn't popped and the only thing that yeah he hasn't really popped and I was hoping that Humphreys would kind of just go away and he would kind of get that third wide receiver in the depth chart role 
Um, and then conversely, Taiwan Taylor, who I really liked his film when I watched it. Good receiver, Oof. solid, really liked him. Just don't like the opportunity in Titans. I mean, Decker, Matthews isn't going anywhere. It's, it's a long just... game with Taiwan Taylor. With Chris Godwin, you just need Chris Humphreys to go away, just like you said. I mean, if there is a receiver that you could point to in the NFL that would be the receiver that you would just like to say, go away, the go-away receiver. Number one on the list of receivers that everyone, every dynasty leaguer just wants to go away, that guy's Adam Humphreys. Final contrived dichotomy. Laquan Treadwell or Kevin White? You know, I saw this one and I actually wrote down, literally, I wrote neither. Yes, that's the correct answer. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> question i will get you out of here on this one who is that rookie draft dart throw in dynasty you're picking at the end of the draft final round of a rookie draft or he might be available as a free agent if it's not austin carr who's that last round free agent pickup rookie that you're most excited about the guy with the sneakiest upside i got my fingers crossed right now because i got a name and i'm hoping you say it yeah so these usually go tight end for me because at the end of the drafts, these are where these guys kind of live. And, you know, either like Kittle or Sprinkle, something like that, where the Washington Sprinkle. tight end or the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sprinkle? Is there a Sprinkle? There's a Sprinkle in the league? Yeah, there is. Jeremy Sprinkle. Who the hell is that? Man, you had me guess, second guessing myself. Oh, my word. Jeremy Sprinkle is a real player. I have never seen this guy. Thankfully, he's in playerprofiler.com. I get to go deep, man. I've never seen anyone go so deep on the show. A player I've never heard of. This is a first. This is a first on this show. Wow. So not Jeremy Sprinkle, though. So Nate loves George Kittle. You like George Kittle, huh? Yeah, I like him opportunity-wise. Decent player. Um, no, you know, I, do I believe in fans? McDonald? I mean, give me a break, right? Uh, not going there. But uh, easy. Vast opportunity there in san francisco and just you know when you're going this late i usually hit tight ends just because they're underdrafted if you will and you can get these late i mean gronkowski reed a lot of these guys are usually late second round third round fourth round picks uh so i usually go late with tight ends so i'll take a flyer on uh kittle oh bucky hodges you know, I thought he was going to get drafted higher than he did. I didn't. I don't like. I don't like that he fell. That kind of always gives me kind of like a bad taste in my mouth. It's foreboding, right? It's foreboding. It's like a dark cloud hovering over Bucky Hodges. That sixth round selection. Ew. Yeah, shiver runs down my spine. I think if you're going to go late, late, late tight end, assuming Adam Shaheen and Jonu Smith are off the board, you got to go George Kittle. This is Nate Liss's guy. Nate, who did you have in mind? If I have to name a player, it's too late now. I grabbed him late in my draft, but it was D.D. Westbrook. Um, a lot of people were late on D.D. Westbrook. They didn't like him. Bolitnikoff winner. Went to a team that had a pretty deep wide receiver depth chart, but you're seeing it in preseason. He's as explosive as he was in college. It's a, it's a tough player to grab now, but had we done this a few weeks earlier he definitely would have been the guy in most rookie drafts that you could snag later he was available at the end of the fourth round in numerous rookie drafts the idea that you could get the Bolitnikov winner the guy with a 38.2 percent 74th percentile college dominator who runs a 444 coming out of a major conference program with a 19.1 college yards per reception 
This is essentially late round Will Fuller. He was drafted in the fourth round instead of the first round. Will Fuller was a fringe first round pick the year before. Now you can get essentially healthy Will Fuller at the end of the fourth round in Dynasty rookie drafts. Love the D.D. Westbrook pick. My guy has been and will continue to be D'Angelo Henderson. The problem is you can no longer get D'Angelo Henderson in the fourth round. I just traded D'Angelo Henderson for Marvin Jones and a future third rounder. Well, Marvin Jones is tanking with Galladay, so... The Galladay buzz pushes Marvin Jones down to a ridiculous extent where someone's willing to just let Marvin Jones go and a third round pick for D'Angelo Henderson. I like D'Angelo Henderson. I have him on every team, but if I'm going to get that offer, I'm going to click the accept button every time because this season, you know Marvin Jones is going to outproduce D'Angelo Henderson. Please. I was sitting there going, wait, we're doing a Dynasty Brocast. We're doing the Dynasty Brocast other people do, and I love it. I love this. Move my way in here, and don't mind me. So I've been that guy. Did you realize how many models he's had sex with in the last five years? I mean, get out of here. He has Super Bowl rings and super models in his pants every night. He's going to be fine. Do not placate the man. Let's cut out the three minutes of bickering. Don't give lip service to the injured players as if you care about their health in any way. You don't. And you don't care about the fantasy owners either. They approach you. They're trying to be cool about it. Even if you love the deal, you ask for that second rounder. Even if it feels like piling on. To them, it's not. Because they approached you. They want that guy. You're dead on with the approach thing. Well, yeah, because I rarely approach anybody. I just don't have time in too many leagues. So it's easy for me. I'm just, just everyone's approaching me because I don't have time to, to reach out to anybody. But I'm happy to do a deal. You know, I'm not dismissive. You know, I'm always happy to listen. So people like that, and I always get back to people right away. And I usually have a counter offer. Other than being proactive with offers, I do everything else. I think that's kosher. So there's two guys that are that I'm in a bunch of leagues with that are known for that for me, and I, and I love them both. Ryan McDowell and Nathan Powell, they're both that like that. Like you gotta, they gotta be wild with the trade for them to make a trade. I can never get anything done. They're always overreaching and they just like, cause they get the, they identify the sucker in the room that will all, they'll always crush on trades and then they'll trade with those guys. In certain guys, I laugh when I get an offer from them. I just laugh. I'm like, we've been down this road 20 times. We know where this is going to go. We're going to reach an impasse. Why do you even offer it to me? You know, we think two alike. 
Happens all the time. There's 10 other people you could be trading with. Nate does that a lot. Nate loves killing players. It's one of his favorite activities on this show. <laughs> so, so is this where I'm supposed to go on a rant? Do you really care if these players die? You're going to go to his funeral? Should I yeah. come down on your throat? I should play the Matt Kelly role right now? You care? Yeah. You're going to call his wife? You're going to send him flowers? What are you going to do? Well, it's quite the leap from torn ACL to dying. <laughs> are you? Is this show sheet... Is something changing, or are we sticking to the same? Oh, boy. We have non-contact knee injury, and we have being hauled away on a trainer's cart. Can you drop the confetti for Austin Carr? Huh? Oh, boy. Huh? He's not even on the practice squad now. He's absolutely making the roster. Austin Carr had a 46% dominator rating in the Big Ten. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a stud. He's a stud? Jesus, you fly off to the extreme and like, that was like a minute. <laughs> look, okay, look. We were talking about Brandon Cooks. That's when we could talk about studs. And then all of a sudden, now Austin Carr's a stud. Amazing college background. Great athlete. Ended up in a very good situation. You know, Belichick, he wants guys that know the system, that work hard, that can do what he wants. He's not special, but I'd love to see Austin Carr make the team. Well, here's the thing. They didn't even put him on punt return. They had Cyrus Jones back there muffing every punt. And I, I figured they would go to Amendola because he's an expendable piece, and then they put Edelman back there. What good is Amendola if he can't at least return punts? Carr's making the roster. If, if Edelman is for sure out for the year and goes to IR, Carr's on the roster, no doubt. Dude, Austin Carr could be good. Yeah, Cooks would be an outside receiver anyways, right? I mean, Hogan will go inside. I, Hogan? Hogan? Yeah, he'll play inside. And Carr is not going to start this year, but as a long-term play, the guy is an outstanding slot receiver, and that's been a, a, a position of need. Patriots really don't really care about outside, inside. They'll motion. I mean, they'll move people in. Hogan was the ex-receiver on the left side all year on an island. When's the last time you saw the Patriots with a dominant outside receiver and a healthy Gronkowski? They played Hogan out there last year, and they won the Super Bowl. I don't see them changing that tactic. Well, sometimes they put Gronk out there at X. That's a fun lineup. I like that formation when they motion him out wide on the wide left. Remember they did that against the Steelers over and over again first week two years ago? Everyone had their hair on fire the entire game with Gronk at X. Do you guys think it bumps Dwayne Allen at all? Yeah, it's, it's good for everybody, man. Everybody wins in this scenario except, obviously, Edelman. I don't think they're going to go to the two tight end thing like I sort of had imagined with the, uh, you know, the Aaron Hernandez days. They love the bunch formation, and I'm telling you, they're going to use basically Hogan as a hammer and pick play after pick play. If they put heavy on the left side with double tight end on the left side, they do two wide receiver on the right side. It's a slot flanker duo. They just do cross and pick, cross, pick. And Hogan is awesome at picking off cornerbacks. That is the play I would run if I were an offensive coordinator. I would have Gronk out wide on the left on an island with Hogan and Cooks bunched on the right running pick plays. Cooks runs it out. He gets his defender picked off by Hogan. He catches the ball. He's so nimble and explosive, he can turn up field and score a touchdown. You know Cooks can run all those routes, and he's so much more explosive. And it's just going to be so fucking cool. I cannot wait. Hey, Amendola! Hey, Amendola! You see that Amendola catch over there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Amendola. Yeah, it was a good catch there. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
if you like Jordan Matthews, you're essentially a Jordan Matthews truther at this point because his ability has been so dismissed across the fantasy football community. It's just sickening. Absolutely. I think that, you know, one bad year. One bad year in the last eight years. People giving up on him. His first two years are just off the charts. I mean, we don't see that kind of production from receivers in the first two years like we did in garbage time all this i mean who cares 75 percent of the nfl is garbage time i mean this is what are we doing here right i mean we're collecting fantasy points we're not like looking for quality points in the fourth quarter spread out through the first quarter aesthetically pleasing only uh exactly uh, i'm not looking for a fantasy players with Paredos that have evenly spread out first quarter points with fourth quarter points. I, I, I don't do that kind of analysis personally. Um, so I don't really care about garbage time. I just care about points. And I think you certainly now it becomes clearer that he can be the top target in Buffalo. I think so. I think that's the risk with Zay Jones is that he's not actually the number one wide receiver that Jordan Matthews can play through a broken sternum and vastly outproduce Zay Jones, be the guy in that passing game, the clear-cut number one option, the primary guy, and in a low-volume attack, which is going to be low-volume, then what is Zay Jones? He's the number two receiver on a low-volume offense. Then it's not that exciting. Then you can see why Kenny Galladay is rising faster. But like with Keenan Allen and like with Doug Baldwin, we talked about it earlier, those that now own Jordan Matthews are in it for the long haul. The true believers are the Jordan Matthews owners. There are very few Jordan Matthews skeptics left that have any Jordan Matthews. He's been consolidated across the true believers at this point. So trading for him actually isn't as easy as it. I'm not sure about that only because I think that, you know, I always look at when there's an inflection point, like a change of team or an opportunity arises where the, the player in front of him gets hurt. Like, it with, like we talked with Hunt and cooks for instance but stimulus with matthews with the change in scenery i think it it it, it, it it's an inflection point which creates opportunity constantly in dynasty we see it all the time so there's people that may have held on to jordan matthews because they paid a high price for him say they draft him as a first round receiver had him for a couple years was high production it started to go south fast last year and then they didn't want to sell because they just that they didn't want to take on that negative loss. Maybe they believed in him and Wentz together in the long run, but maybe they're not as excited about him on this lower volume offense in Buffalo. And maybe that's the stimulus that was required to get someone off of Jordan Matthews. When you're getting these changes and that you can either feel that you read that situation better than your dynasty opponent, if you will, that you can read that change in your favor, that's where you attack value. I think it is more applicable for Sammy Watkins, this concept, because you have dynasty owners that have owned Sammy Watkins because he's Sammy Watkins. But this is a look in the mirror inflection point where now you have owners saying, wait, Buffalo doesn't believe in Sammy Watkins? Should I believe in Sammy Watkins? Wait, maybe I don't believe in Sammy Watkins. Wait, he's on the Rams now? Oh my God! But you might want to go out and try to see if you can acquire Sammy Watkins in case Goff is good. Goff was the number one quarterback selected last year. We've seen Derek Carr post an abominable rookie season and then put together an impressive sophomore campaign. So why not Jared Goff? Could happen. New coach that's running a contemporary offense in LA 
could get a lot more out of Jared Goff than we think, and that means production for Sammy Watkins naturally. So it might not be as bad for Sammy Watkins as many dynasty analysts believe, and then you have your opportunity right there. There's your buying opportunity. I wouldn't be selling Sammy Watkins right now. Absolutely not. You need to hold on if you own him. I agree with that. And this is one of those situations where people confuse. They think that they have to go up in their rankings or down or devalue or increase value. I think this is one of the cases where an unknown is creating a, a, a decrease in value because people are saying, we know what Tyra Taylor is, and they're saying, we don't know what Goff is. So that uncertainty is causing Watkins' value to decrease. But what I would rather recommend is just say that it loses it cracks your confidence a little bit but that's still a hole right you don't cross that threshold where you actually say you should sell this player but i think that you just gotta accept the fact that your confidence is getting a little shooken by the uncertainty we saw golf just basically see eight men in the box handed off to Gurley, rinse repeat couldn't do it right and you're gonna see improvement alone in golf with McVeigh telling him, hey man, yeah, you can check out of these reads, right? You can see eight men in the box and check out of it, right? You have Sammy Watkins. So if you're looking for reasons to believe, I think that's where you start. They have to stop making Todd Gurley the focal point of the offense in order for Todd Gurley to ascend. It's very counterintuitive. You know, and the best running backs are the ones where they're not the focal point, right? If Jeff Fisher were coaching a college team, he would not be in the top 25 because he couldn't run a college offense that scores enough points to be competitive. You go into an offensive-minded coach in McVay, will give the flexibility to Goff to get out of this. And and how bad Goff was last year, you know, I'm not ready to hold that against him, and I'm not ready to write him off. Wow, you updated the show sheet before the show? That's what I do. How did that feel when you went into the show sheet? Is that a weird feeling? Is it creepy having never been there before? I didn't even know how to get here. That show sheet is foreign to you. Oh, look, I had Austin Carr on there. Holy shit, I had him on there. Totally blacked out on that. I had him on the show sheet before the injury. I did. Wow. Wow, I'm smarter than I even remembered I was. You notice you got Hunt on there too? Oh, wow, that was prescient. Yeah, you did that. That's you. Yeah, you did that. That's you. Yeah, you did that. That's you. Man, if we could just get Jordan Howard to get hurt, we have Tariq Cohen on here. He's a stud, just like Austin Carr. All right, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. Nate has a hate-hate relationship with Carl Safchik. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not aware, this, this is a real thing. It's a real thing. Now I mourn these injuries for approximately 0.06 seconds. Yeah, Brandon Cooks rubbing off Rob Gronkowski. That would be a sight to behold. It was a front-loaded extension. I have no idea. I just made that up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is a fantasy football podcast. We can just say stuff. It doesn't matter. Dallas Cowboys fail again. Hello, advanced metrics. 
I'm just telling you right now, we're going to hit a point in the show where I'm just going to put a stick figure picture of my head and I'm going to put my headphones on top of the mic and I'm just going to fade away. How many shows have I hosted? Do you think I don't know what I'm doing? Now that I know that you have to get out of here and I know that Kevin can stay, but I want you on the show for the entire length of the show, I will accommodate you. But I don't trust you to not skip important topics like Kareem Hunt. There's a getaway driver, a bunch of bad guys, and you know the, the leader of the gang says, move over, I'm driving. And the getaway driver who thought he was going to be the getaway driver and that was his one job ends up getting supplanted by the, the main bad guy because the shit has hit the fan and the cops are all over them. Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm taking over. Give me the steering wheel. Move over. I don't think you have to be worried about me skipping things when I'm out front with you trying to decide what we can pull off. You're not saying anything. What you just said was a, a word salad. A vaudevillian cane has pulled you off the microphone. I don't even know what's going on at this point. All right, we got more breaking news. You couldn't get Doug Baldwin for Todd Gurley right now. I didn't hear the breaking news. Matt Kelly just said that he's been wrong before. Wait a minute. I need to go back <laughs> to that. Dude, I'm blank right now. I'm... We're doing rapid fire for real. Oh, all right. That's a common mistake where I forget that most people are not as smart as I am when it comes to evaluating players in Dynasty League football. Nate, did I just softball that time or what? The fantasy drones woke up and go, oh, I guess Marlon Mack's pretty good. You think? Where does that analysis rabbit hole lead us? Well, definitely not uh, speed question answering, that's for sure. Hey, are you going to pay for the court fees during my divorce? I'm just filibustering as long as possible. You're still here, Nate? I thought you were just going to leave. Tell your wife that it's my fault. Blame me. It is your fault. She actually texted me and she said, she texted me and she said, "How? let's see. It says, do I need to tell Matt we have starving people down here? You need to nod before anyone eats. Go enjoy the chicken parm. And there is Jeremy Sprinkle. Who the hell is that? The Sonic Truth Podcast is transitioning from weekly episodes to monthly episodes with the start of the season. We're not sorry about that. You just have to eat it. But unlike last year, we will give you a show every month to satiate that desire for Matt Kelly, Nateless, once a month. Now shut up and go enjoy some football.